Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Well, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Derm Vet Podcast. So for today's shorter episode, I decided to revisit a topic that I've already had some episodes about, which I'll put in the show notes, and that's food allergy. Sometimes I get stuck in my head because I've done an episode about a particular topic that you guys don't want to hear it again or don't need it. But what I I do know is that there's so many episodes now of the podcast, sometimes it's really hard to kind of go back and listen to things that were said, you know, a year ago, Uh, or we have new products or we have, I have new ways of explaining them. So I'm trying not to be so hard on myself, (laughs) realizing that we just need to put more content out about the common things we deal with. And One of the things I thought could be helpful to go over today, because I've been asked several questions about it, is when do I decide to diet trial? So it can be hard to really convince owners to do a diet trial. And I am personally not of the belief that every pet needs to be diet trialed that's itchy. Now that's very dependent on the dermatologist. There are some that really think every allergic patient needs to have a food trial to rule it out. And that is completely reasonable in practicing veterinary dermatology. It's so awesome that we have different philosophies and different ways that we practice. But I find it can be really overwhelming for owners um, to do all of those things. And sometimes if it's so clear to me that a pet is seasonally allergic, we won't necessarily do a diet trial before pursuing atopic dermatitis. But let me just I just think it's important to mention it's not wrong at all because there still could be food there. And I always still plant the seed for the owner that we need to consider if we're not making the headway we want, then we might have to food trial. And I just talked about this same philosophy with Dr. Catherine Milley on last week's episode of the podcast. So just kind of repeating that for those of you who might not have listened to it, but never wrong to do it. So If you're having a pet that you're struggling with um, or you just want to rule it out, wonderful, totally fine. But I just want to really emphasize the reasons I absolutely would do a diet trial um, in a particular patient. And, you know, the big thing is if there's non-seasonal paritis. So who really needs a diet trial? Well, if there's no history of seasonality, like the pet's always been itchy and it's always been non-seasonal. So it's not that they have a history of always being allergic in the summer, the rest of the year was fine, and then now that they're five, it's non-seasonal. It is, since the itch started, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just always consistently there. Then I do absolutely want to rule out a food component because food allergy can pop up really at any age. Classically, we think of either younger or older pets, but it really can pop up at any age and it can pop up with other allergies. It can pop up even if they've been eating the same food forever. But if it's once it starts non-seasonal, then I definitely want to rule out something like a food allergy. 
If their paritis starts very young, so if they're less than a year and they're already super itchy or breaking out with ear infections, I absolutely want a a great diet trial done in those patients. So if it's a four month old, you know, lab puppy and they just are struggling with yeast otitis and licking their paws, that pet still could be atopic, but we absolutely want to rule out a food allergy. The flip is true as well. So geriatric paritis. So say the pet had no issues of being itchy their entire life and all of a sudden they're 10 and they're super itchy. So we've already gotten rid of the infection that was present. There's no infection present on them. You know, no endocrinopathy we're worried about. Like we're truly just an itchy allergic dog. Then it absolutely put them on a diet trial and make sure that that's not the main component of their itch before we moved on to something like a workup for environmental allergy. If they've lived lots of different areas and the pet has just always struggled with itch. Now this one can be really hard because people think, oh, well, if I lived, you know, in the Southeast and now I've moved to the Northwest, those are completely different. So it couldn't be the environment, but it it definitely still could be. There's lots of pollens that are consistent throughout various geographic regions, dust mites, storage mites, um, insects, all of those can be consistent through various regions as well. There's lots of grasses that can still be present in several states. So we want to make sure that we're not completely thinking it can't be environmental allergies just because it's not seasonal or just because it didn't get better going somewhere. But if they really just have always been itchy, despite living lots of different environments and there's been no change in severity, then I absolutely want to make sure that there's not a food component. And then obviously the big one, gastrointestinal signs. So what I will say is there is a large amount of food allergy cases that do not have any abnormal GI signs. So don't think a food allergy case has to have, uh, you know, diarrhea or vomiting. But if they do, or they mention that they're always sensitive to a certain food or, you know, they get really gassy on a certain food, then we absolutely want to rule out a food component. A really important thing to realize as well is that gastrointestinal signs are not just vomiting and diarrhea. So gastrointestinal signs can be they're really flatulent. Gastrointestinal signs could be they have more than three bowel movements per day. If you've listened to my past big discussion about food allergies of Dr. Casey Blessing, she did research that showed a normal dog's number of bowel movements is usually three or less per day. So once we start getting above that, that's considered abnormal. So if you have a pet that has six bowel movements per day, even if they're pretty normal, that frequency is not normal. So yes, I absolutely ask owners questions like that. Like how many bowel movements are happening per day? What does the stool look like? Even if it's not diarrhea, is it really mucusy? Um, you know, do they scoot? That's a big thing you want to ask about too. Do they scoot a lot? Um, those are things that can be indicative of abnormal GI irritation. And then we want to make sure that we are doing a food trial to rule those things out. The hard thing clinically about food allergic dogs is it really can look like any other type of allergy. 
some of the main things that kind of start raising a red flag to me, like we might want to rule out a food allergy. If there's a lot of muzzle rubbing and you can even ask owners about this, if the pet tends to, after they eat, do a ton of muzzle rubbing. Cause as they're taking in the food, it's irritating the skin around their muzzle or, or eliciting a response, but you can see environmental allergies like storage, my allergies that cause that after um, eating food as well. But it's something to kind of put on your radar if you're seeing a lot of muzzle rubbing. You know, traditionally, we used to say that if you had a pet that did not respond to antipyretics, like even steroids or Apoquil, that maybe we'd be more concerned they're food allergic. And if I have a case that I'm really struggling with, like I can't get their pruritus under control, I do start to talk to the owner about food and that it might be there with the environmental allergies, but I have had plenty of atopic cases that don't respond to antipyretics as well. And they really just have really bad environmental allergies. So you kind of have to read through that a little bit. And I don't think it's a hard and said fast rule. We say, Oh, if they don't respond to steroids, definitely want to rule that food allergy. And I still think that's a good thing to do, but I just wouldn't say that that's a hundred percent true for all patients. So I hope that's helpful. That's kind of the things that I start to think about. I really need to do a diet trial. Non-seasonal pruritus always, their pruritus started or their otitis started really young, like less than a year of age or the flip that they're really old and they didn't have issues before. If they have a lot of GI signs, if they have otitis, we just can't get under control. And I know this isn't the purpose of this episode, but I just want to throw out there, as I always do whenever I talk about food, that at this point, food allergy testing is not validated. It's not considered to be accurate. So please don't run any serum or saliva food allergy testing. You really can only diagnose a food allergy based on the history, a really complete exam, and most importantly, that really strict diet trial. You want to use a prescription-based diet that's either a novel protein, which you need to dig into the history for, or a hydrolyzed protein diet. And sometimes you have to do numerous diet trials. Sometimes they don't respond to the first one that you do, and that can be quite frustrating. But hopefully some of these tips of what to look for can be helpful. As always, feel free to send me messages to the DermVet You can find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and send me your idea for podcast episodes there. And please leave a review. That's super helpful so we can reach more people with the podcast, teach more veterinarians and veterinary students and assistants and technicians how to help manage these derm cases better because they are chronic and they are frustrating.